Right, so um, as Pete said earlier, um, this year we are starting the year with prayer. And I think it's, it's, it's very fitting, it's very fitting to start the year with prayer. So we have a very, very short series. I'll start today with um, the Lord's Prayer and then um, Namdi would continue next week with another of the Lord's Prayers. So I will look at, you know, praying for God's kingdom, changing us, God changing us. And Namdi will look at, as Pete said, um, uh, praying for God to bring more workers in the vineyard. Okay. It is popularly said that a prayerless Christian is a, thank you, is a powerless Christian. That's what people say. So let me ask this question. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Do you only pray before meals, before bed, or when you're in trouble? Do you only pray when you must make a big decision? Which job should I choose? Who should I marry? What do I do? Or has your prayer become a chore? Something that's very difficult. You know, anytime you want to do it, you're like, oh, goodness, not, not this again. Probably pick the remote and watch Netflix. Or has your prayer become what I call sleeping tablets, more potent than chamomile tea? Anytime you want to sleep, you know, just, just go in the mood of prayer, you will sleep. Do you feel guilty because your prayer lacks quality and quantity? Do you feel guilty because you usually don't have the words to pray? Now, I'm not saying all these to make you feel bad, okay? Not at all. That's not my point. But I think what we are trying to say here is Jesus, who is an example, a perfect prayer warrior, teaches us how to pray and not just to pray, but to pray with power, to pray with vigor, to pray how to tarry in prayer. So that's what we want to look at, how we can really engage in this thing called prayer. Because we don't want to be powerless Christians. We don't want to be Christians who just walk about with just the title and the labels, but nothing to show for it. We want to be Christians who bring God's kingdom down. That's who we all want to be. Is it just me who is wanting this, or do we have people who want that as well? Amen. Thank you, Pete. Pete is with me today, you know? Everybody else is like, oh, please, stay with me, stay with me. <laughs> Anyway, so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. It's something that has been preached so many times. I'm sure we've heard about it. We've recited it a thousand times because we've been doing it since year one. Even Joel says it, you know. But the thing is, have we really sat down to really think about what we are being taught here? Because it's not just saying it by rote or in memory. And so with the passage we have today, we are going to look at it in four key themes. I know we have a very short time, but we'll try and see if we can get through it in four key themes. I don't know if I sing this on. One is authentic prayer. Two is the anatomy of prayer. Three is acting on prayer. And four is always praying. Okay, so we'll start with the first one, the authentic prayer. Authentic prayer. Please turn with me to chapter, f yeah, we are on chapter six. So turn with me to verse five. Verse five. We are told that when we pray, we should not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites like to stand on street corners and in the synagogues to be seen by others. There is no point in praying if it's not going to be authentic. You might as well turn the, you know, the Netflix on. If, it's not, if you're not going to have your mind on what you're doing, 
Relax. 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 So before Jesus teaches them to pray, he teaches them, he tells them, look, your prayer must be authentic. It must be genuine. It must be, for, it must be from you. And so he looks first at the religious leaders who are, you know, the Jewish worshippers. They are people who stand in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others, which is not authentic at all. That's very inauthentic. Now, Jesus here is not saying we should not pray in public. Not at all, because we know the old saints prayed in private like Daniel or prayed in public like Ezra. Jesus himself prayed in private like we are told in Mark 1.35 or prayed in public at Lazarus' tomb. And we know that the disciples after Jesus also prayed in private. For example, when Peter was in prison, you know, they were praying privately for him. But also they prayed in public. Stephen, when he was being stoned in public, prayed and prayed for those who were stoning him. So it's not really, the point is not necessarily where you pray. That's not what he's driving at. Verse 6 says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven. That is the point. We must shut people out. We must shut things out. Our focus must be on him and him only. That is the point we are being told. Uh, that's the point Jesus is driving at here. So our prayer must be with an, to an audience of one. That is God. Whether we are in public or private, God must be the audience, the only audience we have. And so whether we play, pray in public or we pray in private, we must shut everyone and everything out. You might be thinking of the meal you're going to have with friends after maybe when you're praying. But, you know, forget about that. While you're praying, just be in the mood of prayer. That's all that's necessary. Sometimes when we meet to pray, that's when our grammar and diction is polished, you know. But that's, that's not the point. You're not praying because you're pleasing people. It's not about people. Sometimes when we're praying, that's when our amens and our grants are louder. Our charismatic grants are louder. That's not the point. I'm sure some people are saying, Adam, you should be talking about yourself because you do it more. <laughs> you do it more than anyone else in the church. But, you know, that's not the point. Whether you are praying in private or public, if you're saying an amen, it's because it's to God, not because you want people to know you are awake. That's not the point. The point is it should be to God. Our mind shouldn't wander. We should be in present. Be with God there. On the flip side of it, you may be a shy person. And so in private you will pray, but in public you won't. Again, you are trying to please either yourself or people because you are being influenced by people. Be yourself. Be yourself. If you say amen in private, say it in public. Just be yourself. Don't let people influence you. Don't be thinking about people when you are praying. That's what it's telling us. It should be about God. It should be to God. So that's the first. And then verse 7, we are told that the pagans, now, we've looked at the Jewish religious worshippers. Now these are the Gentiles, or so the non-Jewish religious worshippers as well. The pagans, verse 7, we are told, they also pray, but when they pray, they pray with many words. They pray with so many words. They do this because they think they will be heard because of their many words. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we are given a typical example where Elijah the prophet challenges Baal's worshippers to, you know, um, dwell in prayer. And Baal's worshippers, we are told from morning till noon, are crying and repeating one word over and again. Oh, Baal, answer us. And I bet some of them were even singing it. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, then they will increase the tone. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. 
they did it so for so long, nothing happened. It's not about the many words, not at all. It's not about saying one thing over and again. Now, again, Jesus is not forbidding repetition in prayer. He's not forbidding that. Neither is he forbidding long prayers, not at all. Because in Luke chapter 2, we are told Anna, an old woman, tarried in prayer day and night. Day and night. So she prayed long prayer. I mean, talk about long prayer. For years, so many years awaiting the Lord. We also told in Luke chapter 6, Jesus prayed all night. Talk about long prayer. He prayed all night. We are told in Luke 18, it seems Luke just really talks about prayer. Luke 18, Jesus encourages us to pray repeatedly when he gave us the example of the the importunate woman, the woman who is, you know, forcing the judge to do something. He, he tells us to pray always. He tells us to pray always. And this woman repeated so much in her, in her request to the judge. So Jesus is saying, don't give up. Keep asking. So it's not about the repetition. Jesus himself, in Luke 22, prayed repeatedly until his sweat dropped like blood. Repeatedly to the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But your will be done. And so we see that repetition really is not the, problem, the, the, the point, or long prayers is not the point. What Jesus is telling us to do is to avoid vain repetitions. Vain repetitions. Why do they use vain repetitions? Because they wanted to impress God. It's like they wanted to twist God's arm to do something. Because they want to twist God's arm to do something, they say they think the more times they say it, the more God will do it. But that's not, that, that, that's not the point. Vain repetitions, no. Sometimes we pray long prayers because we want to inform God. Come on, guy, dear friends. God is not surprised by anything. He already knows it all. So this is not the time to spend a long time to give him information from Genesis to Revelation. He knows it. He knows it. So the time in prayer is not really to inform him, to impress him. Not at all. Our prayers must be authentic, whether in few or in many. Authenticity is the point. And then verse 8 tells us why we don't need to use many words. Because God knows what we need before we ask. He knows. He knows. And so the big question then is, if God knows what we need before we even ask, why should we pray? <laughs> really, I mean, if he knows, why should we pray? Now, that's a big question, which we take another sermon. But, you know, for the short answer, I'll give you just three points on why we should pray. One, James 4. James 4 tells us that we do not receive because we do not pray. Simple and short. It was very blunt. You do not receive because you do not pray. And sometimes when you even pray, you pray amiss. So you don't get it because you're praying the wrong prayers. It's not according to his will. So we know that one, we should pray and it's because we will receive. And also to be honest, God really answers all prayers. He, he does. He will say go, which is it's answered, it's done. Or he will say grow. It's not now, it's not time. It, you know, wait. Or he will say slow. Look, you're going to get it in stages, drips and drops. Or he may say, no, it's not good for you. Oh, I've already done it. You don't see it, but it's done. It's done. And so he will answer. That's why we should pray. We, we should pray. It, it's very important. The second point is we should pray because prayer is communication. 
Every relationship thrives on communication. If we say we are in relationship with God, we don't communicate with him, we are deceiving ourselves. The fact that you tell your daughter or your spouse, I love you once, doesn't mean you won't say it again. Say, oh, I've said it. I said it just before we got married. I don't have to say it again. I mean, come on. Nobody does that. You, 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 you will say it again. Not because you are repeating it vainly. Of course, sometimes it happens. But because you mean it. Because you're communing. You commune. Sometimes repetition is communing. And so when you're communing, that is useful. That's why we should pray. And finally, we should pray because prayer really is not all about our needs. And we'll see that when we start looking at the world's prayer. It's not all about our needs. It's really about God first. It's about God. Prayer changes us to align with his will. That's why we should pray. If you don't pray, you remain the same. If you pray, you change. He transforms you. And so we should pray. We should engage in prayer. And so authentic prayer is simply prayer that is not impressing people. Not impressing people at all. Whether it's um, in private or in public. It is also prayer that is not impressing God whether it is with few words or many words. Authentic prayer is prayer that is thoughtful and that is faithful. Prayer that is thoughtful, that is faithful. That is authentic prayer. And so we finish with authentic prayer. The next point is the anatomy of prayer, which is verses 9 to 13. So let's turn back to verses 9 to 13. Look very briefly with me there. And in verses 9 to 13, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, which we said so many times, so I'm not going to read it because we all know it by rote. But what Jesus gives us here is the structure and the substance of prayer. Have you realized that the first three petitions are actually about God? And then the last three petitions are about our needs. The first three petitions about God are about God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. And then the last half is about our provision or his provision for us, our pardon, and our protection. We don't have time to go into all this because each of them will require a different sermon. So we'll only focus on the first three, which is, you know, about God. Just the first three, which is about God. Because when it comes to about us, we all know a lot about us. You know, in fact, we don't need a sermon to talk about us. We have a lot of experience about talking about us. But let's just focus on God and um, his kingdom for now. Right, so verse 9a says, Our Father in heaven. First of all, this tells us to pray to God our Father, not to a priest, not to an angel, not to a saint, and definitely not to Satan, but to our Father. He's the one we should pray to. And then secondly, that our Father is more like, I'm sure we've, we've, we've read it in different versions of the Bible, where he says, Abba, Father, which is like our dearest Father. Our dearest Father. For me, in the Lost Prayer, those first few sentences or words are my favorite, really. One, in Jesus' day, they were revol- those words were revolutionary. Calling God your Father was something that was really not heard. I mean, God was referred to the Father, but more corporately or for a nation, but not privately or to an individual as a person. And so I'm sure there were a lot of eyes raised when he said, they should call God the creator, their father. It's like a different mindset. But he said they should call him his father. And for me, what I like the most are those first two words, our father. Because our father 
means that every child and every adult can say our father. Our father means the pensioner and the student can, can, can be part of that. The prisoner and the prince can be part of that. The priest can be part of that. The, the president and the pauper can be part of that. Everyone is part of that hour. It breaks boundaries. It breaks barriers. We are all part of it. He calls us and welcomes us to his table to be part of it. Our father. We can call him father. Our father. And you see, when God says he's a father, dear friends, he's better than the best father you've ever you could ever imagine, whether you've experienced it or not, like, like a good father or not. God is a good father, if only we can trust him to be. He is a father. He is a father who cares. He's a father who really cares. If he can give his son to redeem us, Jesus dying on the cross to redeem us, he's a father who cares. He will go all out. So he is a father. We know that. Our father in heaven. Now, we all know the fictional story, Superman. It is, or he is Superman because he's a superman. He hails from a different planet, right? That's why he's super. He has those supernatural powers, Krypton. Have you realized that in most of the movies, and in fact, to some of us, anything that comes from outside Earth is powerful, you know? Just think about it. If we think of, well, when we watch the movies and we see aliens, we know they have better technology, they're usually thicker and stronger. We, we have that mindset that anything coming from outside Earth is better. And in the ancient days, they did the same as well. You know, we think of all those mythical gods they had. Anything in, in the heavens is greater and powerful and whatever it is. God is far from all those, far, far, far from all those. The heavens is his throne. The earth is his footstool. He is far greater than anything you could ever think about. And he dwells in the heaven, our father in heaven. And so when we say our father in heaven, we are acknowledging that he is transcendent. He's not limited by our time and space. He's not here dwelling with us. He has that power to, 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 to come down. It's like there is that great power we can look to. Our Father in heaven, he's not with us. He's not like us. He's greater. He's powerful. He's mightier. We can trust him for that. He is that transcendent, unlimited one. And so saying our Father in heaven should actually change us. It should make us thankful. Thankful because we can be part of his children. It should make us confident because we are coming to a father, a good father who will give everything for us. It should make us humble because he is powerful. He's powerful, and that should hum really humble us. We are coming to a powerful being, a powerful being. The next bit, hallowed be thy name, is, well, hallowed just means sacred or, or holy or consecrated or separate. And so when we say hallowed be your name, his name is not a label like us. You say Adam, and I respond, yes, you know, that sort of thing. No, his name gives an attribute of who he is. It's an attribute of who he is. That's just who God is. God is love. He is love. He's not just called love. He is love. You know, and so his names are his attributes. Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. El Elyon, Lord Most High. El Shaddai, God, Lord God Almighty. 
Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Chitkenu, the Lord my righteousness. Those are who he is, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, who sees and provides. That's who he is. It's not just a label. And so because these are powerful attributes of God, to be honest, that should change us as well. It should make us stand in awe of him. In awe of him. It should make us revere that name. We cannot use it by heart. We, we, we cannot use it as swear words. Oh my goodness. The all-powerful one, you're using his name as swear. That, that, that should change us, how we see his name. We cannot take his name for granted and use it anyhow. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, before he actually tells us to ask for anything, he tells us to focus on God and who he is. Because when your perception and your mindset is fixed right on God, you have that confidence to even pray because you know who you are coming to. It just changes your mood. It just, it just builds faith in you because you know who you are coming to. Because you know who you are coming to. Psalm 100 captures that perfectly. He says we should enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. When we are coming to him in prayer, that is a great way to just come. Great way to approach the throne. Let's look at verse 10 quickly. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we all have our little kingdoms, don't we? During the new year, um, Anita and I called the kids and we said, you know what? Um, particularly for Michelle, because she's had a phone, we said we are going to renew your phone contract because she has a contract on her phone. You know, she must sign and say, I'm not going to do it. I promise not to do this, not to do that, that sort of thing. Anyway, and so Gabby will have one this year as well, and they all have laptops. So we said, look, we're going to refresh your contract. And one of the clauses in the contract is that they, they have to tick a box that says, I understand that mom and dad are lending me this phone. Now, they were asking, they were saying, oh, you know, the phone is mine. I'm like, no, it's not yours. You are borrowing it. it we, are, we are just lending it to you. And some may think, oh, that's mean. Ah, how can you treat your children like that? Dear friends, everything we have, we've borrowed. You, you, you don't really own anything. It's, it's, it's better we start teaching them that now. We, we, we really don't owe anything. Anyway, so in their kingdom, they have a phone or a laptop, and they can do anything they want on the phone or on the laptop. That's their kingdom, you know. So they have that sort of kingdom. They have their little kingdom. We also have our kingdoms in our homes, don't we, moms and dads? You know, we, we, we have our own little kingdom in, kingdoms in our homes. We all live in the United Kingdom. King Charles III reigns. We live in somebody else's, oh, well, not somebody else. We, we, we live in our kingdom, a bigger kingdom. And we all know that the kingdom is basically the king's sphere where his dominion is expressed or, 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 or where, yeah, where he uses his dominion. That's just what a kingdom is, where the king reigns. And so your kingdom is your little sphere of influence. And it is where you exercise your dominion. And it is where your will is done. That's where your will is done. Meaning your kingdom or your world it's where your will or your desire is fulfilled. Your will is done in your kingdom. All kingdoms are limited. So the kid's laptop is limited. They can use it within some time. You know, they can watch whatever they want, but it should be within some hours. I live in the United Kingdom. I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, not whatever, but you know, I can do a lot of things I want, but it's also still restricted. I can buy any car, but I can go everywhere. 
that sort of thing. And, of course, King Charles lives in his kingdom. He can also do everything. For example, he can command a new bank holiday. But he can't do everything. He can't command a white Christmas. You know, he, he, he just can't. He, 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 he's also limited by some things. And so we all have our kingdoms, but our kingdoms are limited. And all kingdoms work within some jurisdiction. So my kids have their little kingdom, but our family is a greater kingdom. I live in the United Kingdom, or I, I have my own kingdom at home, but my kingdom is subject to the United Kingdom. And King Charles, of course, the, the third, also has his kingdom, but we know that there is a greater kingdom. And so every kingdom, whether it is a large kingdom for a royal or a little kingdom for a refugee, is bounded or is under God's kingdom. That's just the truth. And so because our kingdoms are limited and we ourselves, we are flawed and broken, our kingdoms are flawed and broken as well. But this is not so with God's kingdom, not at all. God's kingdom is not like ours. It's not, it is perfect. And there is no kingdom greater than his kingdom. And he gives us a glimpse of what his kingdom looks like in Romans chapter 14, verse 7. He says his, his kingdom is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness. Being in right standing with God and with one another, where there is no wrongdoings and the consequences of sin or evil doing has been dealt with. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's brilliant. Peace. Oh, how we need peace. We need peace in our souls, in our homes, in our troubled world. Righteousness, peace, peace with God and one another. That's in God's kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's brilliant. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy. How we need joy. True joy, that is not fake. That is not temporary. We need that. He said that's in God's kingdom. That gives us a glimpse. But not just that. We know that his kingdom is a kingdom of love. And he's demonstrated that through the cross. Won't we want that kingdom? And so even though praying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, is a serious thing. Because you're saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to infiltrate mine. I want your kingdom to supersede mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. I want to decrease and I want you to increase. I want to relinquish all my power to you. Even though it's a serious thing, it's something we can pray joyfully because we know how his kingdom is. His kingdom is of righteousness, of love, of, 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 of um, as I said again, I've lost my train of thought here. Peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, that's it. That is his kingdom. Even though asking him to have his kingdom in ours, infiltrate ours, sounds like a serious thing, like we're giving him everything. It's a good thing. It's a brilliant thing we should be asking. We should say this all the time. We want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our children, in our communities, in our church, and in our country. We are going to have an election in the electronic media, entertainment industry. We need his kingdom to come in these things, in our homes, in our hospitals, in our highways, in our hotels. We need his kingdom to come. In our private and public businesses and politics, we need his kingdom. In our schools and universities, I read a statistics just last week about colleges in the United States, and it says 75% of children who go to college as Christians don't finish off in college as Christians. I was like, 75%? That's high. We need God's kingdom to come. We need his kingdom to come. In our workplaces and in our world, we need his kingdom to come. So let me conclude with two reasons why our passionate prayer for his kingdom will be done if we genuinely pray authentically. It will be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that if we 
humbly, humbly come before him if my people who are called by my name shall seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pray. He will hear. He will heal the land. He will. It's a promise. And Jesus also gave us an example in Luke twenty-two forty-two, when Jesus prayed passionately, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. God had that prayer. Of course, it was God's will which was done, but it was the best. His kingdom came. His kingdom came. That's why we can be part of it. His kingdom came. He will always answer that prayer when we relinquish that power. He will. He will. Finally, at the end of the age, we know that God's kingdom will fully come. He will judge the living and the dead. There will be no more wickedness. There will be no more evil. Injustice, suffering and pain and wars will end. He will wipe every tear-stained eye. When he restores all things and his kingdom fully comes, all these things will be done. And to that I say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Right. So the second part of the Lord's Prayer, we're not going to go into, as I said, but you know, it talks about provision, praying for our daily needs, not monthly needs, not weekly needs, daily needs. Pardon, asking for forgiveness, petition, and you know, petition for protection. And the Lord's Prayer does not end there. It actually continues, and um, we see in verse 14 to 15. If you can look very quickly with me to verse 14 to 15. It continues to talk about forgiveness of sins. William Wilberforce was a brilliant British politician. Very, very brilliant. He fought for over tw- well, almost 20 years, almost, just about 20 years, for the abolishment of slave trade in, the, in, in England. And eventually it happened. He was a committee of Christians, and he prayed and he practiced his faith. He was not so heavenly minded, so that he was not of any earthly good. Actually, he prayed and he practiced what he believed in parliament. That's the sort of person he was. And here are two of my favorite quotes from him. One says, of all things, God against neglecting God in the secret place of prayer. And then the second says, a private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. It's no faith at all. This is why I believe Jesus is teaching us here. Prayer cannot be devoid of action. We pray for, to God to do the impossible, but we go away and do the possible. We do the possible. He does the impossible. And so verse 14 to 15 is saying, if you ask God for forgiveness and you believe he's going to forgive you and you know that he, 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 he tells us to share that forgiveness, you go and forgive as well. If you know you've been forgiven and you know how much it costs him to forgive you, you have to forgive as well. Not just that, even when he talked about the, 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 and give us our daily bread. Before that, he had said we should be generous and give alms. Earlier, in, earlier on in the passage. And so asking God for a job without actually working on your CV, you're not practicing what you're preaching or what you're praying. When we ask him for a job, we have to go for the interviews and do the CVs. You know, and then we, we do what is humanly possible. We do our bit and leave him to do the impossible. When we pray for his kingdom to come in our families, we work on our anger get that anger management course. When we pray for social justice, we take action. We take action as well. As it said, the only necessary for the triumph of evil 
it's for good men to do nothing. It's for good men to do nothing. And then our final point before we go is always pray. Always pray. Jesus tells us to always pray in Luke 18. And he challenges us to always pray. And we're also told time and again to pray. That means, dear friends, whether we feel like it or not, let us pray. Whether the request is small or big, let us pray. Whether the situation is possible or impossible, let us pray. Sometimes we feel God has disappointed us. Let us pray. Regardless of what it is, let us pray. If you don't have faith, it is no excuse. Because you can ask him to help. Like the beggar who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Even when we feel we don't have the strength to pray. Because prayer changes us, really. Prayer draws us closer. Prayer aligns our will with his. Prayer brings his kingdom into ours. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of prayer. We pray that as a church, we'll be, we, will, we will really focus on, your, on what you've called us to do. Anytime we look at the Lord's prayer, Lord, would you open our eyes to see really what Jesus is teaching us and help us pray and pray fervently and pray always. In Jesus' name, amen.